All right, hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Longball Football Podcast. Not our usual podcast uh, recapping the weekend's action, but a preview pod of what is going to be a uh, remarkable weekend of Portuguese football with not one, but two fantastic games to look forward to. Um, I couldn't do it by myself though. Sadly, Barney can't join us tonight, but I have got two uh, very capable replacements. Um, firstly, it gives me great pleasure to introduce um, not just uh, the man in charge of Portugal.net, but a uh, journalist, author, and uh, the godfather of Portuguese football in English. Not my words, those are words said about him by other people. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time, Tom Kunda. Tom, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi Albert. Wow, very nice introduction. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, great to be on the show. You know, fantastic. I'm really glad that you're part of the Portugal family, as it were. You know, really great addition to the site and you do a fantastic job. So yeah, really looking forward to this podcast and talking about what should be an amazing weekend of football. Uh, yeah, and we should just say Tom has been a fantastic supporter of our podcast from the very beginning, from you know when we were a really, really small operation. Tom has been a great supporter of ours, so um, we do really appreciate it, Tom. I just want to that put on record. Sadly, Barney can't be here, but he would uh, he would echo those sentiments as well. Um, and secondly, it is a return to the Longball Football Podcast uh, for Patrick Ribeiro, journalist, sporting fan, and fellow member of said Portugal family. Patrick, mate, thank you again for joining us. How are you doing, sir? No worries. Always, always a pleasure to to be on this podcast again. Um, talk, talk some good game, of course. So, yeah, very excited to be on and and um, look forward to what should be a couple of great games mm. ahead for us. Well, like I said, this is going to be a, a special episode to preview one of the biggest weekends of Premier League football in in many years. I think it's fair to say. Like I said, not one but two fantastic games ahead of us as Braga host Benfica and Sporting welcome Porto to the capital. And it's made all the more dramatic by the fact that just two points separate the four teams at the top of the table in what could be a season-defining weekend of football for these clubs. Now, we are going to start with uh, Benfica versus Braga and start specifically with Benfica, by far the most talked about club in Portugal, the team that everyone's focus is always on. But it hasn't been plain sailing by any means for the Lisbon Giants so far this season. Of course, they're only one point off the top of the table, but with multiple disappointing results already in the league and a fairly disastrous Champions League campaign, uh, seeing them drop out of the group stages into the Europa League and some very disappointing performances on the pitch this season already. Fan discontent is quite high and they could really, really do with a good result against Braga to keep their season alive, really. And Tom, I'll come to you first, just to start off with an easy one. What have you made of Benfica so far this season and what seems like a host of problems that they've been having recently? Yeah, really interesting place they're at, aren't they, at the moment, Benfica? Just one, just a little aside, uh, Albert, before we get into Benfica and the four teams. I remember you, I don't know if you remember, you sent a tweet when the fixtures when the Portuguese football schedule was released <laughs> sometime in early July. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, one of the things you said is, uh, look out for the weekend. Uh, well, this weekend, <laughs> wasn't it? Second weekend yeah. of December, because we've got uh, Sporting against Porto and Braga against Benfica. And yeah, everyone thought, wow, yeah, that should be quite a good weekend. But like you said, the way it's worked out with the, you know, two points separating first from fourth, is just absolutely unbelievable. This really should like you said, could be a really season-defining weekend. And yeah, for Benfica, I think especially because, well, you just hit the nail on the head here, uh, there, you know, the fans, I think, always a good barometer of how the team are doing, of course. They just haven't been happy at all, have they? And, you know, for outsiders looking in, Benfica, you know, one point off the top, uh, or two points, is it, off the top? And uh, yeah, just one point. Uh, they've beaten Sporting, they've beaten Porto, they're still in the Cups. So you could say, you know, domestically, they're not doing too bad. But like you said, I think their results have, uh, you know, slightly masked disappointing performance levels and the Champions League campaign, which everyone thought this season, you know, after their brilliant campaign last season and then buying Di Maria in the summer, that they were really going to do some things 
perhaps a bit special in the Champions League. That didn't work out uh, at all, of course. Uh, went really badly. And, uh, you know, where's it all gone wrong? I mean, we've got so many things we can talk about. It was interesting in the summer, I think after they did their summer business, especially with the signing of Di Maria, most people thought they'd done good business. They were probably going to be even stronger than they were the previous year. But it really hasn't worked out that way. And we've seen the players that have left have really been big misses. They just haven't been able to, their replacements just haven't been anywhere near the level of, of course, Grimaldo, especially. I think people probably underestimated just how important he was to the team. And, uh, you know, left-back has been a real problem. And, of course, Gonzalo Ramos, uh, you know, they've had these rotating forwards, uh, you know, Peter Musa most of the time, uh, Artur Cabral, and, uh, you know, they're just uh, Gonzalo Gates has been injured for the most part. And, uh, you know, just none of them have really been able to, you know, kind of stake a claim that say, I should be the number one striker. Uh, I think it's a very interesting time right now at Benfica because the match yesterday, of course, they, in dramatic circumstances, they managed to pull off a 3-1 win and get the, uh, you know, qualify for the Europa League. And I think it was very telling. I don't know if you, if you, what you two thought about this, the celebrations after that, they were really huge celebrations. You know, you would have thought that they'd, you know, qualified for, you know, maybe the quarterfinals or the semifinals or the Champions League, the way, the way those, uh, you know, the, the, the players celebrated and the staff and the coaching staff and everyone. And I think that was really a kind of demonstration of uh, relief and alleviation of so much tension because this poor performance really come to a head on the weekend when, uh, you know, Roger Smith is being really criticised by the fans and here the local media especially have been laying into, into him non-stop really for the last few weeks. And uh, when he made that substitution at the weekend and Joao Neves came off, he was just, uh, some people have said they'd never seen the crowd turn on a manager so kind of vociferously as they did. After the match, uh, the, you know, Roger Smith himself kind of, you know, really, uh, I suppose you could say, thought back, said, you know, fans like that, with, if, you, if you're not going to support the team, you know, it's better that you stay at home. Then there was the incident that uh, Arthur Cabral, who's, you know, had a bit of a disastrous, let's just, you know, let's call a spade a spade. It's been a bit of a disaster since he's come to, to Benfica. He's only scored uh, yesterday. It was his third goal in, I think, 17 matches. You know, it's 25 million, was it, they spent for him? 26 million. And so when he left the uh, car park at the Estadio de Luz at the weekend, you know, some players, were, uh, some of the crowd were jeering him. He put his finger up at them. So that was also seen as, you know, a complete lack of respect. And so there was a real kind of tension and, uh, you know, things were going, just seemed to be going from bad to worse for Benfica ahead of these two games, the crucial European game and then the Braga game. They won the European game in quite dramatic circumstances. They did play very well yesterday, you have to say. I think possibly one of their best performances of the season. You could argue maybe the opposition wasn't the strongest, but, you know, they did do well. And, you know, come Sunday evening, they could be top of the league. So <laughs> it's a really, like I said, I think this is a really crunch moment, especially, I'd say, for, for Benfica. Uh, you know, if they win the league, if they win, sorry, if they win on uh, up at Braga on Saturday night, I could see them going on a bit of a run and perhaps in two, three, four weeks, you know, people will start looking back at this period and saying, you know, what was all the panic about? Uh, anyway, that's my take on it. I think yeah. it could go either way for Benfica at the moment. I think you, you make a really, really good point, which is that Benfica need a result to really kick on their season. The Champions League result was really important. Uh, as Tom said, they hadn't won a single Champions League game and this was their last opportunity to... Uh, to win a game in the Champions League group stage. And as you say, they dramatically and perhaps undeservedly nicked that last European spot, but they did it. Um, and this game against Braga is going to be a, a huge, huge opportunity to really kick on their season. It's one of the many idiosyncrasies of, of Portuguese football, which is that we can talk about these teams at the top having terrible seasons, and yet they're still only one point away from 
being top of the table. So it's quite interesting. Patrick, the last big game that Benfica won was against Sporting. Um, that was just before an international break and they weren't able to kind of build on on the momentum from that result. This is a different question. They'll be going into this game um, very, very hungry for for a win, um, but up against top opposition. So I'm interested to see how you how you see this one panning out, really. It will, it will be an interesting one for sure, because obviously um, I think Braga will probably come into it with a, a very similar um dilemma in their minds in that sometimes we we expect a lot more from Braga coming up against the likes of Porto, Sporting, Benfica um, and particularly under Dorjaj um, they've kind of bottled it a little bit and haven't been able to to, to really play to their full potential um, there have been times where they've picked up a few heavy defeats even um, so I think this year we're looking at a very different Braga team there's a lot more experienced heads um, in in the thick of it, um, that you know they'll be itching to set the record straight um, against a big team, and you know it's a massive game for them uh, as well. Like just two points off top, they'll they'll be wanting to to end the um, calendar year in, in in good fashion. So it won't be an easy game at all um, for Benfica, um, but equally it's a massive game for Benfica in terms of what it means for their season. I think the the the, the game in uh, against um Ferenc, uh it could have been a pivotal one. I saw I, I think a lot of Benfica fans were looking at that game as a complete disaster. They had the whole situation with the manager and uh, as you say, the players after as well. Um but I didn't see the Benfica that I think a lot of Benfica fans saw. I didn't see a completely dejected, useless Benfica team. It was a Benfica team that was creating chances, and if we if we're being honest, were unlucky not to have won that because um, on on a regular day they probably knock Ferenc out of sight with a three one four one win. Um, so m- me from the outside looking in, I'm looking at that as a positive reaction, um, and they backed that up with an important win, as you say, in in the Champions League, which would allow them to. Um, pursue um, a, a different path in in the Europa League, um, and you know if you couple that up with with the occasion that is playing against Braga, who are right up there, all of a sudden if you win that, already being two points off the top as they are, you know it, it, the the prospect for this to be a turnaround is huge, and I think. Now is the time for for the Benfica players to step up and, and say, yeah, let's seize the moment. It's happened before. We've had we've had seasons before. We date back to when um, Bruno Lage took over at Benfica and he managed to turn it around. Even the season before that, I think Hoi Vidari was really struggling behind George uh, Jesus' sporting. I think there was a big, big uh, point turnaround there as well. It's round about this time that the, the turnarounds begin. So... You know, I think for sure Benfica will be looking at, at that game as the moment of their season, um, for sure. So it'll, it'll be a very interesting contest because both teams have so much. I, like, I don't want to say that the season is defined there and then, but psychologically, it could be. More so for Benfica and Braga, of course, um, because if if we're looking at your seasonal goals, Braga are, are roundabouts where they want to be. And, you know, if you lose to Benfica, there generally isn't any shame that you can attach to that. Um, but for their ambitions, of course, they they, they, they want to win and, um, and uh, uh, put out a marker. But I think psychologically, it could have a massive effect on Benfica, depending on what they can do. I think you make a really, really important point there. Um, about the form Darian coming into the game very important to highlight that performance against friends because obviously the result very disappointing for Benfica to draw 1-1 at home against a club like Ferenc with a fraction of their resources a fraction of uh, the quality of player that they have available to them to draw 1-1 at home of course is a very disappointing result but worth remembering Benfica have a had a, a expected goals of 5.74 in that game. Rafa Silva alone had an expected goals of three. And if he just puts away one of the 
fairly easy chances that came his way in that game could have been a very different uh, story. So I think that is a, a very important point to make. Actually, Patrick, I will just come back to you quickly because one thing you've both alluded to and myself, we've all alluded to is is um, the difference between Benfica this season and, and Benfica last season because last season was a very successful year for Benfica, not just winning the league, but with a very... Uh, some some very commanding performances on the pitch, and and this season's obviously been very different. One problem I've alluded to there: a lack of goals up front. Um, but I'm interested to get your take, Patrick, on what you think has changed between last season and this season to get to where we are now. Uh, Tom alluded to losing a couple of players like Grimaldo. Obviously, they lost Enzo Fernandez halfway through the season, but usually those types of changes don't have such a big effect. Yeah, it's. It's tricky. I think a lot of it can, again, it it, it can turn into a, a more of a, a psychological issue. And then when once you're once you're in that sort of rut and the form isn't quite the same, you're not quite dominating teams in the same way. I think for a player, uh, when when they're in the pitch, um, and things aren't going their way, I think for them even it can be very easy for them to think, uh, uh like how. How much easier things were when Grimaldo was out on the left or Gonzalo Ramos was was amongst us. It's it it's very easy to look at figures like that, and of course it will have um, its effect. Um, it's not ideal that certain players um, who've come to replace them have started slow. We haven't seen much of uh, David Yurashek uh, yet in terms of what he can offer. Juan Bernat, same thing. He would have been someone who you would have thought clean replacement for Grimaldo. Um, but much like Tom said, perhaps Benfica fans, um, not all Benfica fans, but I think some clusters of the fan base probably um, didn't know how good they had it with Grimaldo at left back because he is a very, very good fullback who, in my opinion, probably could have slotted into a, a top Premier League team a long time ago. Um, Gonzalo Ramos, again, is a very difficult player to replace but this is the nature of a, of a Portuguese team sometimes and when you have a, when you have something good you usually don't have it for very long so it's a reality that you have to get used to um, you have to be very smart in how you replace um, these kinds of players and I think the options that Benfica have now particularly if we're looking at the strikers um, listen we know that Peter Musa is not a starting striker he does brilliantly off the bench. Um, but some players are like that. They're, they're very good at providing an impact, but um, it like from from the start, it's not always the same. Kasper Tenstead, similar. He started very slowly. Um, perhaps not quite the player, quite the, the calibre that Benfica need to lead the line. Um, I think the real hope would have been on someone like Artur Cabral, who at Basel and Fiorentina uh, was the main goal getter. Um, you know, he is a striker with some pedigree, but th- this is football. Like when you sign for a new team, there's no guarantee that you're going to hit the ground running. Um, and that could be um, like a, a blank block of space that a player finds himself in for a number of months to, to even a couple of seasons. And sometimes a club will let a player go and think, oh, what a rubbish player he was. And then two, three years' time, you see him in the Champions League ripping it up for uh, some other team. And you think, wow, is that the same guy? Um, that's, exact, that's exactly the type of player I could see like Turco Brau be. Um, it, it just happens sometimes. I think so. some players sometimes when they arrive at a club, it, it's very circumstantial. Uh, unfortunately for Benfica, it's not quite working um, uh, for, for, for them. Obviously, you've got other players as well who aren't playing at their best. We don't have um, a Rafa Silva at his very best who would have for sure tucked in at least one or two of the chances at the weekend. João Mario has had games where he's a little bit more muted. He's not the same kind of player. Um, and obviously you've got that hole in midfield. Um, questions sometimes to be asked at defence. It's it's not ideal for Benfica, I guess. Um, when when we look back, um, uh, but you know, again, coming back to the question of the importance of the game on um, 
at the weekend, you know, if you win that, all of a sudden you got January knocking. Uh, I think Kwikosha has already said that there will be new arrivals, so they'll get the chance to to make things right. Um, but the weekend's a cup final. That's the way Benfica have got to look at it. Cup final, anything can happen. doesn't matter what players you have, who's about to come in, who's about to go out. It's 11 v 11 on the day, so... Yeah, I just want to just to put in there. It's, uh, I couldn't agree more with what you both said in the last uh, in your last two in- interventions about the fact that uh, Benfica. I think you could argue have already started to turn the corner. Now they could completely turn the corner with a win and a good display at Braga, because, like you said, I was actually I I didn't catch the game on the weekend. I was away, but I caught up with it afterwards, and everything I've read. And this actually was why uh, Roger Smith was so incensed at the end of the game about the fans' reaction. You know, everyone said it was possibly one of Benfica's best performances of the season and they could have won that game, literally 4-5-6-0. You know, I saw the Rafa Silva misses and it was <laughs> incredible, really. I thought, how is that possible? And then yesterday I saw the game and then I realised, yeah, it is possible because <laughs> he also missed about three or four other clear-cut chances. Uh, the one he actually scored was probably the most difficult one. And that's kind of typical Rafa Silva for you. But uh, but yeah, like you said, I think this they could really be turning the corner, even uh, like like Pat just suggested there, you know, uh, Artur Cabral, the goal he scored yesterday, you know, he came off the bench. I think it was about 60 seconds after he came off the bench, he scored. It was a really nice goal, you know, really nice finish. Cool finish there, you know, in a completely pressure situation. He's, you know, he's just been basically almost, uh, you know, dissed by the whole fan base, you know, public enemy number one. And that's the way he reacts. That could really, you know, turn things around for him personally as well. So, uh, you know, really interesting situation for for Benfica. And uh, like we say, it looks like they really could be turning the, the corner in terms of performance level. That said, you know, lose this game and we're kind of back to square one, aren't we? And all the pressure will come piling back on the players again, on the manager, questions will be asked. So mm. that really just makes it, you know, this is so fascinatingly poised, this game. Really can't wait to watch it. Absolutely. And uh, we should, of course, spend a little bit of time talking about uh, their opponents, Braga, perhaps a team that yeah. uh, people listening to this podcast will will be less familiar with than Benfica. Um, the thing that stands out for me about Braga was there was a lot of excitement around them before this season started, they had a very promising season last year, and what looked like on paper a very, very interesting transfer window, uh, where they were a lot more active than perhaps they usually are, and 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 bought in players of of, of good quality. Um, the season perhaps then hasn't quite been as positive as as some people would have hoped. They they have dropped points against smaller teams at times, um, and while they've been a formidable proposition going forward. Uh, playing exciting football, scoring lots of goals. They have had defensive issues. They've conceded more than they than they would have wanted, and I think that has been what's held them back um, in terms of making a, a big impact in the title race. Um, although they are only two points off the title as things stand, um, Patrick. Then, firstly, you're going to kick us off with your thoughts on Braga. I think I'm not sure how much you agree with with my assessment of their season so far, but you know what did what did you kind of expect from them before the season started? How do you think it's going now? Um, because for me, I think this is it's quite it's quite a simple situation. They they've got some talented players, uh, they play some good football, but they they just they struggle to to not concede. Yeah, I think with Braga, I think it's very easy to perhaps expect a little bit more from them as you know. Typically, we look at Portuguese football, we look at the top three, Sporting, Porto, Benfica. Braga sort of becomes um, like the that typical underdog fairy tale story for everyone else who then wants them to do really well and like interfere with the hierarchy um, that's typically in, installed in, in, in uh, Portuguese football. So we a lot of people want Braga to do well therefore expect them to do well. And it's not always quite like that. I think I'd like to jump to Braga's defence a little bit in uh, in the fact that obviously they have, for one, you know, introduced a lot of new players, uh, perhaps more experienced players. So they've sort of drifted away a little bit, but they've also brought in 
uh, some very young players as well in the mix. It's a, it's a very peculiar and interesting mix of players. Um, but in in all honesty, it's it's one that has a lot of quality and potential as well. Um, uh, it's one that we'll have to see how uh, the season unfolds. Uh, but it explains the the, the whole excitement uh, that people felt towards Braga. Um, we have to be very careful with how we judge them because a uh, it's a Champions League year for them, uh, so that's a huge distraction for a club like that. Um, and they, they they didn't progress, but I don't think we're looking at that Champions League campaign and thinking Braga absolutely embarrassed themselves. It wasn't anything like that at all. Um, so there's positives to draw. Um, at the same time, um, we're looking at an interesting uh, uh, year of uh, made a League of Football um, where we keep saying no Benfica dropping points but they're still two points off top. Sporting have dropped points. Porto have dropped points. I think Porto have lost something like six games out of 22 or 23, um, which is a lot, especially for someone like Sergio Conceição. So there are points being dropped literally everywhere from the very top down to the bottom. So if you insert Braga into that equation, you know, why would it be any different for Braga sort of thing? Um, So I see things from a Braga perspective as like there's still so much to play for. Um, I think things could get very interesting now that the Champions League is out of the way. They can sort of have a good moment of focus now um, on the league and see how it goes from there. They definitely need to pick it up, but so does everyone. Um, that's 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 how I'd assess it. But again, um, we keep going back to this uh, this weekend coming. You know that game that game could be very important for them, and it could give um, them the boost that uh, they need to, to to really charge up the table and and like be a real nuisance. Absolutely, that, and I think Tom. You know, obviously, we spent so much time talking about what this result would would mean for Benfica. That you know, we really cannot overlook. Braga and just what a statement win this would be for them. It it does it does seem like um there's a real clamoring for, for for Braga's success from perhaps neutrals and obviously on this particular weekend from from sporting and and, and Porto fans. But definitely there's a there's a sense that people are looking for uh, another team to come in and, and shake up the title race, be disruptors in the Premier League. And and Braga have have made a, a decent amount of investment and, and steps towards doing that. Um in their heads, I'm sure they'll be looking at a, a, a wounded Benfica team and thinking about what an opportunity this could be. And if they were to win and, and results go their way in the other game, they could be sitting at the top of the table in, in just a few days' time. And, and I can't remember the last time that happened for Braga at a significant point in the season. So um, really, really important to remember that this is a a, a real opportunity for them and a, a game that they'll be really ambitious in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a really exciting time for Braga. And, you know, if Braga are ever to win the league, I think realistically uh, it probably has to be a season when perhaps the big three, the traditional big three, are a little bit off colour, you know, and you could argue that is this season so far. I mean, uh, how often, I mean, even, uh, you know, you, Albert, you and Barney and Pat, uh, just the last few seasons looking at, looking, you know, at the league, how often have we got to like 10, 15 games in? And one team has just like maybe lost one game or lost zero games or just dropped so few points. Now, this so far, you know, like Pat just said, Porto dropped points, m- many more points than they normally would. Benfica dropped points. You know, Benfica unusually, of course, they beat Sporting and Porto, but they've still dropped points against teams you wouldn't expect them to. And of course, Sporting have dropped points, especially recently, you know, losing the two games against Benfica and Vitoria last week. And so perhaps this is just the kind of season where Braga could, you know, cause that that surprise. And, uh, you know, I think they're having a, a really good season. I've, I just wrote down some stats. It's actually quite amazing. They've, they're also in great form. Last, uh, last uh, I think, like Pat says, we have to take their Champions League campaign a little bit, kind of uh, put it to one side because, I mean, let's face it, they're playing Real Madrid, you know most successful Champions League European team in history. 
Napoli, Italian champions. So really would have been quite amazing if they'd got anything from those games. And like Pat said, they didn't disgrace themselves at all in the home games, especially perhaps a bit unlucky not to get a draw, perhaps even in one of the games, perhaps even in both of them. But if we just look at the league, last eight games, they've won seven, drawn one. Uh, Braga have scored 36 goals this season. That is eight more than, that's the highest score in the league by a long way. Eight more than Sporting, 12 more than Benfica, 15 more than Porto. You know, so they're just non-score, uh, you know, they just can't stop scoring. Got some, all of their attackers are playing really well. Of course, you've got Ricardo Horta, that kind of talisman, but the, the players really impressed me this year is just taking his game to completely different level. Of course, it's Alvaro Jalo. He's just absolutely fantastic. He actually missed the game yesterday. I'm not sure, you know, what his fitness situation is. Perhaps that was just to keep him back for the Benfica game, but, but that would be a big loss if he can't play because he's been superb. And, uh, and of course, you've got Simon Banzo, who's top scorer in Portugal. You know, really good, like uh, like Barney said in your last uh, podcast. I think it's really good. I just got this, you know, number nine, just a complete goal getter, really. You know, just uh, someone that's got a lot of creative players in that midfield and in the attack. So, and uh, Zalazar as well, the Uruguayan I brought in, he's really looked so good the last few games. He looks to be a you know, really astute purchase. So, you know, that's, uh, I think Braga could really, you know, if they win this game, especially, you know, they could start dreaming that it could be something special. Like you said, (laughs) the one negative for Braga, you know, this team just can't stop scoring. They also can't stop the opposition scoring (laughs) against them. Uh, You know, they've conceded 20 goals in the league. That's more than any other team in the top half of the league. So, you know, they obviously do have a problem. The the young Turkish centre-back, uh, he, you know, Sachi, I think he's uh, Serda Sachi. He looks a really good prospect, but, you know, he's got a mistake in him, uh, I think, most games. Jose Font, I'm a big fan of his, you know, amazing service for the Selecao, of course, Euro 2016 winner. Great career, really interesting career as well. He only played in the top flight, any top flight for the first time when he was 30 and, Look what a career he's had since then, you know. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I think he is really on a little bit on the decline now. And you can see perhaps not quite, uh, I'd say, a little bit of a weak point in that team. You've got Niakate, of course, which who we all know, again, fantastic potential. But he is, a, I think he really has to sort out his disciplinary problems because how many times has he been sent off the last two years? Must be about four times or something, five times. He... He, he, you know, that's really holding him back from, I think, stepping up to being a, a top player, and uh, and even their fullbacks, you know, Victor Gomez and uh, and Christian Borsa, uh, they're very good going forward, but not the best defence, uh, you know, not the best defenders, which again, kind of, is, yeah, another explanation for why uh, Braga, you know, play the way they do. They just uh, tend to kind of try and outscore the. Uh, you know, the, the opposition, uh, j- just a little aside on that, I think the best right back in Portugal at this moment plays is a Braga player, but it's not playing for Braga. You know, uh, Rodrigo Gomes at Estoril, absolutely, he's going to be a huge star he is. Uh, I think I'd suggest to you to dedicate almost a full pod on Estoril, uh, Albert, because they've got four or five players there who are really going to make uh, you know, a big name for themselves in in the next few years. But yeah, I think this is a you know really interesting uh, time for Braga, really exciting time for Braga. Of course, I always say it. I think it's one of the most positive things which has happened in Portuguese football over the last couple of decades is this emergence as Braga, as you can really call them, the fourth grand now, uh, you know, virtually guaranteed to finish in the top four every season quite often, like last season, even finishing higher. And uh, yeah, like I say, who knows? Maybe this is the season where... Uh, you know, they could make that, uh, you know, final extra step if uh, Sporting and Porto and Benfica continue to, you know, have problems along the way. I think Braga will be uh, will be waiting there. But again, like Pat said, their one Achilles heel, you could say, is they do tend to, uh, you know, it's quite unusual for them to come out top in these in, in the games against the big three. That said, I think last season they had a good record against Benfica, didn't they? They were actually the first team to beat Benfica. You know, after that amazing start Benfica had, they also knocked them out of 
was it the Tassa de Portugal or the League Cup? I can't remember one of the cups they knocked them out of. And uh, so, so yeah, you know, I don't think they'll be overawed by facing Benfica. And, uh, you know, fantastic stadium, fantastic occasion. Should be a great game. Absolutely. And I hope what we've done there is build a picture of a game that is uh, not just important for what it means to these teams off the pitch, but also that is uh, guaranteed to be very competitive and very entertaining on the pitch. Um, and just a reminder for anybody hoping to tune into that game, it will be on Sunday, 17th of December at 8.30pm UK time at Portugal time. Um, but let's not forget, gentlemen, that there is, of course, another game that we are here to discuss. Um a game involving uh, both Patrick and Tom's beloved sporting uh, who will take on Porto in this Stadio Jose Alvalad uh, in a game between two teams currently tied for first place. Uh, and let's start with sporting then, guys, because we have two sporting fans on the show. Um, Tom, I'll come to you first. The season was all going so well until, uh, as you mentioned, the loss against Victoria took the shine off it somewhat put a bit of a damper on things, but it's still been uh, a very, very solid season uh, for for sporting, um, perhaps exceeded, exceeded the expectations of of, of, of most people uh, as they led led the league for, for the best part of the season. Um, what do you make of it so far? You must have been uh, enjoying life as a sporting fan so far this year. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting. Again, I think... Uh... I mean, we 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 talk about him, but it's so much down to one man. I I do actually think even when Sporting were were top of the league, I, I still think they haven't played that brilliantly this season. What I do think they do have is they have brilliant individuals, and especially, of course, that man Victor Giorgares, who's just really revolutionised, uh, especially the way Sporting attack. Sometimes not in an absolutely good way. Uh, Riven Aberdeen uh, alluded to this uh, a couple of weeks ago in, after the win against Gilles Vicente when they said, uh, he said that Sporting tend to have the habit, you know, is is such a, uh, a kind of force of nature up top that it's always an easy get out for Sporting just to, you know, to hit it long. And it's almost guaranteed that uh, Victor Giorgis will make something happen. He'll win the ball, he'll hold it up, he'll win a foul. You know, he'll uh, he'll wait until the the other midfielders or attackers come to support him. And so, in some in some ways, that has uh, uh, you know that I, I think Sporting haven't played such smooth team football as they have in in previous seasons. But uh, you said it was all going so well until the Gimmer Range game. I would actually take it back a bit longer and I'd say it was all going so well until stoppage time against Benfica. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, sporting after a very tight game, you know, uh, but they were leading, although playing with 10 men, going into stoppage time and then, of course, lost those two goals, ended up losing. And so there's a bit of a feeling uh, and, and the game against Victoria as well, you know, again, Pretty tight game, bit of a contentious penalty against Sporting. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Victoria, uh, to be fair, again, played really well. And again, a game which could have gone either way. There's a bit of a feeling, I think, among Sporting fans that it's been a bit of a lost opportunity. Sporting are still top of the league. But instead of being top of the league, one point clear of Benfica and uh you know, they could have been top of the league, perhaps with a five, six point uh, buffer, uh, you know, which again would give them, you know, a lot more confidence, obviously, for, for the upcoming games. And you do get a feeling, especially with Benfica, I think, and also Porto, that they're, uh, you know, they are improving. They, they had some big changes in the summer. And you always see, actually, Pat, alluded to it earlier about these teams which often go on, start, you know, really getting it together and going on good runs, maybe from about Christmas onwards. And there's a reason for that, of course, because every season in Portugal, the top teams have to uh, have to sell their best player. One, two, three players, you know, Porto sold Octavio, uh, Benfica to, uh, sold, uh, like we just mentioned, Grimaldo and Gonzalo Ramos. And, you know, it's... These are big players. These are when you take out your best players, and uh, you know your whole kind of functioning of the team is centered around that player. It takes a while to 
you know, it takes a while to kind of rebuild the team, you could say, rebuild the way you play. And uh, anyway, sorry, just going back to, to sporting, yeah, I think we're uh, sporting have had a, you know, they're, they're in a good position. They're, uh, again, you could argue a bit like uh, Braga now, you know, they just haven't been able to get the job done in the big games. And that has been a problem for sporting recently. I think there's a stat that I think it's maybe 10 games uh, against uh, one of the other big three that Sporting have failed to win now. And I think it's six straight defeats against Porto. So, you know, when does it start to become a bit of a psychological problem? You have to ask that. And so, again, crucially important game this is for, for, for Sporting. Again, you know, we don't want to, I suppose, make uh, make it sound like the, this whole episode is just all or nothing on this weekend. But I really do <laughs> think if Sporting do manage to beat uh, Sport, uh, Porto, I think that will be huge in psychological terms because it will break the cycle of, you know, not being able to beat Porto, not being able to win the big games. It will give them a three-point lead against uh, Porto, you know, perhaps even a bigger lead against uh, over Benfica and so it will really set them up nicely for, for the rest of the season so yeah hugely important game but uh, Porto again playing well uh, it's it's so tough to call Albert it's, this one is really so tough to call you could almost uh, you know I could almost see uh, either team winning this uh, but uh, yeah, I think it just makes for uh, again a fantastic, fantastic season, a fantastic title race. And when it's difficult to predict, it just makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. Um, and Patrick, one thing I want to come to you on, and is is what Tom just mentioned about this being almost psychological as well, because you know, Sporting have already had a, had a big game this season against a fellow title contender against Benfica. Obviously, um, that one that one was a loss. Um, there is there is a difference about sporting this season, obviously compared to last season. But it was also wasn't that long ago that we saw a sporting side compete for the title, and where they seem to have that that mental side of the game much improved and, and won big games in that year, um, when Ruben Amorim guided them to first title in quite a few years. Um, the difference this season to last season, I think, it might seem oversimplistic, but it's it's players, and I think it's the, the recruitment in the summer which has been very positive. Obviously, the main one being Victor Jokovic, who, who was some people perhaps deemed a risky signing at 20 million euros for a player with only one year left on his deal. But it's not just uh, Victor Jokovic; it's uh, players like Hulmund and, and other players that have been bought in uh, in the last couple of transfer windows. Um, so again, I think this is a good one for you to be able to answer, not just as a journalist, but as a as a sporting fan as well. How you see them positioned um, to go into a title battle long term this season, especially with some of those new players. Who, again, you look at players like Jokovic and Hulman. I think those are players who come in with a with a winning mentality and 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 not perhaps shackled by some of the uh, associations that are in Portugal about about sporting not necessarily being that title winning team. Yeah, I think it's been a breath of fresh air and it is it, something that tends to happen um, when clubs bring in a top, top player um, who happens to be a mentality monster, which Victor Gurkaret clearly is in my eyes. Um, sometimes when the right player just slots in, gets off to a flying start, um, it doesn't just elevate his status, but it elevates the level of those around him as well. It's a contagious bit of form. And we have seen that in uh, a lot of uh, sporting players. Again, the recruitment, not just uh, to to get uh, Victor Gyorkarez in, um, but other pieces around uh, the team has been spot on and it has made the team make a lot more sense. I think sporting are a lot more fluid now. Um, we look back to, to, to this time last year when um, we started chasing, obviously, it was Mandy Amande, who's now um, really starting to mature at the back. Um, you, you can see the links being drawn now. It's not the same sporting that we saw uh, 12 months ago who obviously struggled uh, last year. Last year was kind of like a... It, it feels like a reset year now, uh, looking back. I think the, the, the squad is um, a lot stronger, uh, a lot clearer uh, in, in terms of their mentality, in terms of the way they approach games. Um, but again... 
back to um, the the feeling of of taking on a big game. It, it's it's kind of like right now you've got to test yourself. Now you've got to win a big game, um, and not just any big game against Porto, who seems to be the persistent Achilles heel um, when it comes to Clasicos for the sporting. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say it's a must win, but it's very, very, very almost a must win for me in my eyes um, uh, as a sporting fan, seeing, seeing um, the team um, fail to, to, to get those results over arrivals. And even just from a perspective of, you know, fighting for the title, I feel like when the when it doesn't matter who it is, when they come to your place, unless you're 33 games down the season and the draw is fine for you because it fends them off. Like, I think a home game, you have to you have to go for the win. Um, obviously, you do that in a smart way. You approach that in, in the correct manner, which we have seen Sporting do before. We mentioned the first uh, full season that Amuri had where he went on to win the title, even the season after that. Um, there were some very... Um, uh, very well structured approaches to games. Um, we saw some big performances even last season in the Champions League. When you think back to games uh, that Sporting had against Tottenham, um, or like games even when we came close to winning, but very good performances against the likes of Juventus. Um, you know, sport it, the, the Sporting do have that about them, uh, but th- th- there's clearly a difference from the Sporting team. Of, uh, of yesteryear and the one that's uh, going to go into a game against Porto uh, now. And it could even be quite um, quite an interesting one. Of course, Porto will be thinking the same as everyone else. We're at the top. Um, we've, in fact, we're not just at the top, but we've probably had our worst half of the season for quite some time, but we're still here. So they'll be thinking, this is our time. Um but Sporting have an opportunity to to say, no, it's not. And this is our time to go to the top and, and you're on your way down. This is where the cycle flips. So it's a massive opportunity, I think, for Sporting. And they do have they do have the ingredients to, to go out and do it. Um, but so, again, so do Porto. It's a very finely poised game. Absolutely. Well, let, let's talk about Porto then, obviously the other protagonists in this, uh, in this fixture. And their season has been... In on the one hand, a very strange season, but also on the other hand, for anyone who's familiar with Porto, a season that is all too familiar in the sense that um, they are far from setting the the league alight in terms of scintillating performances and uh, and scoring tons of goals. Um, but the fact remains that they continue to to churn out wins and and to to pick up points uh, in even difficult games in in ways that perhaps um, Benfica haven't, just as an example. Um, Tom, I think an interesting part of this, of Porto's game to talk about, um, and we haven't really talked about managers that much on this podcast, but one manager that you can't really ignore is 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 Porto Sergio Consasal for me the biggest character out of all the managers in of the big four at the moment the longest serving manager in the league and I think worth mentioning because anyone who who chooses to watch this game I'm sure will be seeing a lot of him even though he'll be be on the touchline um it's it's a it's a characteristic of of Sergio Consasal's teams that we've come to expect and that is um uh winning games even when you're playing badly even when the odds are against you even when you're in bad form just finding a way to win. Um, and they've done that quite a few times this season. And I think that's why they're such a uh, formidable opponent against anyone, especially against Sporting, who I, I can't count the number of times Sporting have gone into a game against Porto on better form, but still haven't managed to be able to get a win over the line. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I just, just uh, sport, uh, Porto, I've just got the Porto game here. Uh, we're recording <laughs> this uh, simultaneously where, sport, where Porto are playing Shakhtar's first half. Two one up, Porto. Galena scored a couple of goals, and you've never what you never guess what's happened to Sergio Conceição. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess at least a yellow card. <laughs> yeah, yellow card. It's just been shown a yellow card by the referee. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, like you say, one of the great characters in uh, Portuguese football. Maybe some people would use a different word to describe him, but uh, I think he's a. I actually think he's a really good manager as well. Uh, 
even tactically speaking, perhaps not given the credit which he deserves. But like you said, his main characteristic is without a doubt, or the, the, he, you know, the characteristic of his teams is they just, you know, fight a little bit like Porto, really the culture of Porto as a, as a club itself, just fight to the very end, you know, find a way to win. It's amazing this season, if you think about it, they've, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. They've been pretty awful for maybe the first six, seven, eight games of this season. How many games did they win? with goals in stoppage time, uh, you know, how many, I think they didn't win a game by more than one goal until, was it three weeks ago, two or three weeks mm -hmm. ago or something, yeah. you know, and you look at the table now and they're joint top, you know, win it, they uh, beat Sporting on Monday and they're clear at the top, which is really amazing. They're going to be the only Portuguese team to qualify for the next stage of the Champions League, you know, unless Shakhtar scored two in the second half. I doubt that will happen. So, uh, you know, like you said, they just find a way the whole time. Uh, again, like I mentioned before, I think especially with Porto, they do tend to start slowly and get better and better. And a big reason for that is because they, more than any other club really in the last uh in the last few seasons, they've really been hit hard by financial problems and always having to sell their best players and almost really having to start from scratch every season. And, uh, you know, this this season, it looked like that had finally caught up with them. And you look at their squad, it doesn't look like they've got many stars. But again, they've managed to, you know, get a few players who really starting to come into their own. Uh, Ferella has really impressed me the last few games. He really seems to be making a difference now. And, uh, you know, of course, they've got the strike partnership now, their old strike partnership of uh, Taremi and uh, even Ilson, who seem to be clicking again, especially even Ilson. And so that's always going to be a danger for sporting. So, uh, so yeah, you know, like you said, even if sporting were, you know, really flying on all cylinders and Porto were having a bit of a disastrous season, this would always be a, a difficult game to predict. As it is, I'd say... I don't quite agree with Pat when he was saying that he, uh, you know, he thinks that Sporting are playing good, smooth football. And like I said, I think it's more relying on individual improvements in quality to the squad, which has which has made them a stronger team this season rather than the actual uh, team play. I still think Ruben Avarin and the players are still really trying to work out exactly how to fit all the pieces together perfectly. Uh, also, he's making a lot of changes, some of them enforced changes, of course, at the back. And it's so important at uh, sporting system, the fullbacks. And, you know, there's been a lot of change there, uh, you know, a lot of ins and outs and swapping and changing. And so that's made it hard to kind of build up these uh, combination plays. So, you know, again, really difficult to predict. Uh, I sporting uh, until this recent run, the last couple of seasons when Porto really seemed to have, you know, got the hex over them. They actually did have a very good record for Porto against Porto at Alvalade, I think in about 10 seasons. I think uh, Porto had never won or, you know, just maybe won one in 10 seasons or something. Sporting, even when they were, as was the case most seasons, you know, lagging behind Porto in the league, they tended to do well uh, against them here in Lisbon. So, uh, you know, let's see what happens this time round. It's going to be, uh, you know, again, I think psychologically, I think both of these games, I think psychologically, I think from the Lisbon club's point of view, Benfica against Braga, Sporting against Porto, I think it's really important to get the win, perhaps more important than for Braga and for Porto, where, you know, even if they end up losing those two clubs, perhaps it won't be such a blow to their season. But uh, yeah, I think for sporting especially, I agree with Pat in that this is a, a huge opportunity and a huge, uh, you know, a huge chance for them to really, in their own minds, you know, think, yeah, you know, we've got the, we've got the ability to win this league. We, we can do it. And, uh, you know, we need to show that with a good performance and a good victory. Absolutely. And, and I think... Another key characteristic that I've always associated with with Sergio Conte's Al Porto sides is is at least one, and if not two, kind of talismanic key players that um that in in some ways carry the team 
Um, in the past, that's been Otario, Luis Diaz, players like that who've 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 added a real kind of set the standard and set the bar high for the rest of the players. But that's something that perhaps hasn't happened this season. Obviously, they sold Otario in the summer. Mediterranean's forms dropped significantly. They um, still have uh, the phenomenon Pep at the back, who continues to be uh, an incredible leader at 41 years older, though he's had his, his injury issues. Patrick, from a, from a footballing perspective for Porto on the field, I'm interested to, to see who you think will be the difference maker, who could be, who will be the key players, because in my eyes at the moment, it's certainly a weaker squad uh, than last season, but they still have got kind of glimmers of hope here and there. Pepe, the winger, has been, been decent. In my opinion, their best player in the last few games has been the, the manager's son, Francisco Concesao, who, who's actually in, in, in very good form. So there is still um, quality there. But I think the dynamic of this Porto team is is quite different from previous seasons in that they haven't quite got, you know, necessarily the league's best player to rely on or to show off and intimidate other teams. Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting squad to look at uh, from my perspective. Um, first and foremost, looking at what I think Porto are best at um, and especially against something that could be a weakness for sporting um, is the inst- the intensity that they can install into the game. Um, and I tried to look at sporting's midfield, um, whether they have the capabilities to, to deal with uh, the constant pressing that might emerge, the physicality that Sergio Concisano will impose. I'm not sure whether... Uh, I, I don't know how sporting are going to deal with that. It could be something that sporting have to watch out for because um, uh, there are times when you look at the link between Morita and, and Hulman, I feel like it, you can see that that's a partnership that's still developing and, and sometimes they're not sure who takes charge of, of that midfield. Um, Tom's mentioned the fact that Alan Varela uh, is improving. Um, he'll be a very interesting character uh, for the game. The man alongside him, in my opinion, has probably had quietly one of the best seasons in a Porto shirt so far, which is uh, Steven Ostakio. I think he's been brilliant, uh, particularly going forward. Um, and then one interesting matchup that I think uh, Porto can, can then offer a lot of bother Sporting's way is is what Galeno can do uh, from the flank if he goes up against um, uh, Ricardo Chigayo, who, in my opinion, has, a, has had a decent season. Um, but we all know he's not the fan favourite at Sporting and uh, and that's for a reason. I think he can be quite suspect at the back. Um, so I would say that trident there. Alongside, you can never rule out uh, an Ivan Nielsen who's in great form or even a Mehdi Taremi who um, perhaps isn't in the form of his life right now, but it's a big game and he's a big player. Um, and you know, I think Sporting holds a, a special place in his heart um, yeah, in terms of all the the friction that's that, that's around both clubs. I think that is usually involved in a lot of um, uh, the drama between the two rivals. So he, for sure, he'll be up for that. Um, and um, I, I, I can definitely see either that left flank uh, of Porto's uh, or the midfield uh, being key areas for success. Um, uh, sh- should Porto go and, and, and pull off an upset um, for Sporting but equally I mean going the other way um, it, it's, it's hard to divert the attentions away from Guercares but he really does hold a very key um, fundamental um, uh, role for Sporting I think the Porto defence has looked better and meaner um, than it does currently they've got you know as you say Marcano is out Pepe's had his uh, problems of injuries. I don't think uh, guys such as David Carmo or Fabio Cardoso have looked particularly great uh, when they've come into the side. Um, so if Sporting could be cute with how they work the channels, um, they could certainly cause Porto some some bother there as well. I think in Guercare, Sporting have a player who they haven't had really since um, Diag Tumash, who's someone who who's a real battler um, in those channels. Someone who He's just a nuisance. Like, it might not look like he does much, but the defenders' heads are constantly, like, just on. And, and someone who can really make defenders think and sweat, 
I think Jokeres can do that, of course, with a lot more quality, with the ability to play someone in or, or, or even fire at goal. Um, so it, it will be very interesting from both perspectives. There's definitely weaknesses in both teams, um, areas to exploit. Um, but if I was to look at Porto solely, I'd, I, I'd definitely pick out what Varela can do, what Galeno can do, um, and Lustakio. I think those are my three from, from Porto. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's one thing uh, we've we've brushed over slightly, but worth highlighting that I think Porto's weakest area is their defence. got a fantastic goalkeeper. They've got some talented players in midfield. They've got players up front who might not have consistently delivered this season, but we know can deliver in big games. But it's that defence which is probably going to be their most suspect area. Um, in their last game, they started with George Sanchez, a right back, a, a Mexican, young Mexican player who's come in this season and, and not completely convinced, not had loads of minutes. They also have been playing uh, graduates from from the youth team in Zé Pedro and, and uh, João Mendes. So that for me will be um, where Porto perhaps could be undone and perhaps um, a weaker area than in other games that Sporting have, have played against them in, in, in recent seasons, especially with this uh, new... Uh, new look forward line from from Sporting, which is so exciting in uh, Victor Jokeres and, and Marcus Edwards, and uh, even Pedro Gonçalves, who uh, who looked brighter in his last game than he than he had done recently. So uh, again, gentlemen, I think another fascinating matchup um, this weekend. And just a, a reminder that this game will be on Monday evening and eight uh, fifteen p.m. Uh, UK and Portugal time. So uh, definitely look out for that one. All right. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for. That was a very comprehensive uh, cover of what's going to happen this weekend. Um, we have got two experts on the show, so I don't think we can we can leave without pushing them both for perhaps some predictions uh, to put their reputations on the line for the <laughs> listeners. Um, I'm laughing because this was actually Patrick's suggestion, so this was a, this was not in the running order. Yeah, here we go. Um, uh, I'll let you have some time to think that actually, Patrick, Tom, go on. I'll be I'll be harsh and come to you first. If you had to predict both these games, what would you go for? Oh, yeah, so difficult, so difficult. But uh, yeah, um, I think I've got a sneaking feeling. Yeah, I think Benfica would just be a bit too strong for Braga. I think they're really starting to hit their stride. Uh, but like we know, Braga can't stop scoring, can't stop conceding goals. I'll go for Benfica to come out on top at one, maybe 2-1. Sporting Porto, this is so difficult. I never uh, predict a sporting victory because, <laughs> because yeah, I'm too uh, afraid of jinxing it, of jinx, you know, putting on the jinx. But, um, yeah, I'm actually strangely a little bit confident that sporting might might do it this season. Uh, I think just one thing we didn't say in our analysis, I think if there's an early goal, if Sporting get an early goal, I think this really would suit mm. them so much because Giocaras is so effective running into space. And if Porto just sit back, uh, like uh, a lot of teams have done against Sporting, you know, it does slightly nullify his effectiveness. And so if Sporting managed to score an early goal, Sporting would, Porto will be forced to push up. And then I think, you know, uh, Sporting could really take advantage of that. So, yeah, what the hell? I'm going to go for it. I think that Sporting would just come out uh, again. Same score, 2-1, but for Sporting. I like that. Patrick, go on, then I'll come to you next. Go on. Uh, so, I'll start with Braga, Benfica. I think there'll be, there'll be goals in that. I think it'll be a very hearty performance from both. Uh, both teams um, I'll go with the trend of the season which is like for Braga has been scoring plenty but also um, leaking in their fair share uh, I'm going to say Braga look like winning the game but eventually I think they'll succumb to 3-2 defeat to Benfica so 3-2 Benfica important win for them um, yeah I think Benfica take that one. With regards to Sporting versus <laughs> Porto, um, I think Tom makes a very good point um, in that whoever scores first, that could be very, very key mm. um, for both teams. I think the weakness 
in fact, for sporting in a lot of the games, particularly against Porto, um, it hasn't even been that they've not been at that level. Uh, a lot of games, they actually have played quite well. Um, but it's how they digest conceding first. Sometimes they concede first and that's it. They crumble and, and they can't find the way back in. Um, so I, I, I fear that that might be the case. Um, for them so it's key that they score first I think I'd like to think that they will do mm. but I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw for that one Alright sitting on the fence slightly but we'll uh, we'll allow it I will I will put my neck up there go on then um, I think defence is actually going to be the key in both of these games and I think that's maybe something we didn't talk about that much but um, for Benfica I think they have actually been quite defence solid defensively and I think even games in the league where they've dropped points I'm thinking about you know Casapir at home when it, I think it was a 1-1 and then Ferenc was also a 1-1 they haven't really conceded lots of goals so I think Braga versus Benfica actually I will go for a 1-1 draw I think both teams will score but I think um, Benfica will limit Braga and uh, I think Benfica's troubles up front will perhaps limit them to one goal so I'll go for 1-1 and then Sporting versus Porto I'm feeling I'm feeling good about sporting. So I'm gonna go for two one sporting and a big win. Um, which would see then uh, sporting at the top of the table. And I'm sure you two would be uh, would be very happy with that come uh, come Tuesday morning. Um well guys, I think we will leave it there then. I think that was a really comprehensive look at the weekend's action and I think everyone who listen will uh, be really well informed going into this weekend so uh, thank you both for your time um, Tom, Patrick uh, you're welcome back anytime thanks for joining me guys no problem Albert great speaking to you thank you very enjoyable